Now I invite you to open your Bible in Psalm number 46, where the sermon is based. Psalm 46. It's the scripture reading for this morning. Psalm 46. Let us read beginning with the title of the psalm. Psalm 46. Listen to the word of our God. God, our refuge and strength. To the chief musician for the sons of Korah, sung upon Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Silla. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The hidden raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow, he cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Amen. May our God be praised because he is our refuge. I call your attention now to Psalm 46 again. Psalm 46, where the sermon is based. The title of the message is, God is our refuge and strength, based on Psalm 46. Before, let us go before our Lord once again in prayer. Father, without Thee, we cannot do anything. So please come with Thy Holy Spirit. And please speak to us. And show us Your Holy Scripture and the greatness of Your Son, of Thy Son. 
And in Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. The world has a way to deal with suffering. Here in the words of a well-known atheist, Richard Dawkins, he said this about how to cope with affliction. He said this, The total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces, and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design no purpose no evil no good nothing but pitiless indifference well this morning I want you to understand that as Christians we should have a different, different worldview about suffering. Based on Psalm 46, we will learn how to deal with suffering with God. Not as a pitiless indifference, but knowing how to deal with affliction with God. The psalm is structured very clearly in three Strophes, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 4 through 7. You see how there's a refrain in verse uh, 7 and 11, which is almost the same information that you see in verse 1. So verses 1 through 3 is one strophe, verses uh, 4 through 7, other part, third, second part, and then verses 8 through 11, the last part. So in the first thing that we will learn how to deal with suffering with God is this. Look at your present. And then look back at your past. And then third, look to your future. Look at your present is the first one, verses 1 through 3. Look at your present. See in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. See that the verse doesn't say God was our refuge and strength or God will be our refuge and strength. Those are true. But the emphasis of the verse is in the present. God is our refuge and strength. So look at your present and see God there. And then he says that God is our refuge. The, the word here, for, uh, refuge, means a shelter, a protection. You are in a th- thunderstorm or in a war, and you have to find a place to hide or to protect. Then you go and find a shelter, a place to hide, a refuge. And then he says also that God is our strength. 
It's a, he's the source of strength when we are weak and fragile. And when you put those things together, refuge and strength, what you have is a fortress. A place to go when you need for protection and for strength. But also it says that He is a very present help. And the word help here that God is us for us in the present that He provides something that you and I cannot do for ourselves. It's not something that uh, He's, he's going to give us a hand. That's something that we could do for ourselves if we work harder. That's not the meaning of the word help here. The meaning is, is that He's going to provide something for you that you cannot do for yourself. It's the same word that you find in 1 Samuel chapter 7 when Israel was losing the battle against the Philistines and there was no way they're going to win, they're going to be defeated but then God comes and help and defeat the enemy, something that Israel could not do for themselves that's why the stone there is Ebenezer, stone of help, the Lord helped us so the sense here is not that God is just giving a hand but that he is truly the deliverer the redeemer he is the salvation and not merely to give a hand for a problem and what problem is that well the text says here he's a very present help in trouble And the sense of the word trouble here is of uh, confinement. It's the risk of life where it seems there's no way out. There's no escape. You are surrounded by enemies and you're trying to escape and to get out and to find a place to go and you are besieged. There's no way out. There's no way to go. And what happens when you are in that condition? Distress, anxiety, because of the siege of the enemy. And probably, uh, the context, the historical context of Psalm 46, the siege of Sennacherib around Jerusalem in 701 B.C., And history tells us that all 45 cities of Judah had already been besieged at that time. And the Assyrians were mocking Judah, saying that they themselves, the Assyrians, would lend 2,000 horses to Judah. And even if they lend 2,000 horses for them, for the enemy, Judah would never have a chance against them. In fact... 185,000 soldiers besieged Jerusalem. There's no way out for you, Judah. And probably that's the context of our text here. So what kind of trouble is this? Well, you can have that historical image in your mind. But the psalmist describes us here the kind of trouble that he's talking about is in verses 2 and 3. 
It says, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof war and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. You see the description of the trouble here? It's not describing a local tsunami. It's not that at all. It's not describing a disaster in a car accident where the whole family is gone. It's not describing, describing either an epidemic of a virus. No. He is describing a worst case scenario. You see? It's a decreation of the whole planet. It's where the planet is being unmade. The language here of the ocean in war, the mountain shaking, <coughs> it's for you to understand that it's total chaos. It's a universal cosmic calamity. It's a worldwide catastrophe. Where the most, like the mountains, the most secure things in the world are shaken. Can you picture that? Can you see it? It's a universal tsunami. Where the ocean is invading or even the mountains are invading the ocean. It's everything in turmoil. And the principle behind all of this is this. Even if the entire globe is disintegrating before our own eyes. Even if the world is Falling apart. You see in verse 2. We will not fear. Even if everything is from bad to worse. And total chaos. You have to remember verse 1. And look at your present. That God not only was. Not only will be. But God is our refuge. And strength. And a very present help. In an ending world. That is why you and I as Christians, we will not fear. You see how you have to look at the present and see God, that He is that for you and for me? Let me give you some applications of that truth that we just saw in the text. First, be realistic. Be realistic. One of the ways that we have the tendency to do is to try to comfort ourselves and many times to deceive ourselves and say, uh, when the problem comes, and it'll be okay. Everything will be fine. Yeah, the problem is right here, but uh, it'll be all over soon. Nothing wrong with that in itself, but many times it's a self-deceiving way to deal with the problem. We think that things will get better when sometimes they will not. Sometimes they will get worse. Like we see here, even though though the world is falling apart, though the world will get worse. He is picturing a reality that is worse than their heart wants. And even if that is the case... 
Even if that is the scenario for my life, I need to be prepared for it. I need to be realistic. And many times that's our problem, isn't it? We are not realistic. We think that things will get better when in fact they will not. It's like the arrows of sufferings coming and we are not prepared. And when we try to get ready to, to find something to protect ourselves, it's too late. No, sometimes we need to be realistic. That yes, things can get worse. And have a worse scenario in our lives. Just like I remember Jeremiah 12. Remember? When God talked to Jeremiah. He said, you think it's hard for you to run against men? Jeremiah. What if I put you to run against horses? How would that be, Jeremiah? How would you feel that people who are persecuting you is not the people from Israel, but people from your own family? So be realistic. Yes, things can get worse. And we need to look at our present and see God as our refuge and strength. Second application. We also have... We also have another tendency to think when we are dealing with suffering. is this. We think that God is with us when everything is well. Well, when my family is good, my job is all right, my health is improving, then God is with me. Then He is my God with me right now in the present. And when if everything is from bad to worse... When everything is falling apart, what is our reasoning? Where is God? He's gone. I don't see Him. He, did He abandon me? Has He forsaken me? Where is He? That's how we reason many times, isn't it? That's how I reason many times. But here, Psalm 46, it making, it's making us to think again. Because God is present not only when everything is well, but also when everything is from bad to worse. He is in the present, a very present help in trouble right now. When things is getting from bad to worse, the text says He is our very present help. And that's how we should think and reason. You not think that he has, he has abandoned us and knowing that He has a purpose and a reason in the suffering and affliction with us. And He is our refuge and strength. A very, very present help. Not out of trouble, but in trouble. Third application. And I don't, think, I don't want you to think about anybody else. Don't think about you. Don't think about your neighbor or your family or... And I should think about myself. As I ask you these questions. What is your refuge? Where do you go to when your life is a mess? What is your shelter? Where do you go to? Be honest with you. Where do you go to? Do you go to comfort? 
Nothing wrong with comfort in itself. But many times we despise our God. And we try to find greater things for our shelter. Do you go to work? Is it work that gives you rest and tranquility? In a hurricane of problems? Or is it money? Knowing that you have that, uh, that financial support in your bank account will give you security? Is that you go to? Was it entertainment? Was it social media? Or is it after a bad week, hard work, terrible things happen with your job or with your boss or anything that happened in, during the weekend, the weekend, you go online to see immoral sex. That's your comfort. That's why you relax and try to escape reality. Was it shopping, buying, going to the mall or anything that you want to buy? And that's where you find rest and comfort in a time of trouble. Was it loneliness to go to your room, a dark room? You don't want to see anybody or anything else but be alone with your thoughts. Is that your shelter instead of God? Or is it food? Is go to the fridge to open the fridge and find food, a comfort that you so need at this time so that can soothe your pain? Is it food? Was it alcohol, drugs? Is it beauty? Is it romance? To find someone to love, to be loved back? Is that the way for you to escape the problems of life? Is that intellectualism? Is that children? Is that pills? Or you are here this morning. You have tried so many things and nothing worked. Nothing worked. And you are tired. And you are depressed. And you don't know where to go. There's no way. There's no refuge anymore. There's no way to go. I am besieged. I'm surrounded. I don't know where to go. I've come to church. I listen to the Bible. I listen to sermons. But... I don't know what else to do. No, this morning, through this Psalm 46, God is talking to you, saying, Today, He calls you. He's saying, I am the one who is a very present help in your trouble. Come with me. You have to find shelter in me. It is with me, God is saying, that you have strength. Only I can really help you. Come with me. That's the message of Psalm 46 this morning. Maybe you are not going through trouble right now. But maybe that's something that you need to be prepared for. And listen to this truth right now. And then a fourth application of this first point. I think it's where you find freedom from our anxieties. Because verse 2 says, right? We will not fear. Well, anxiety is a type of fear, isn't it? It is. And I think when you have that perspective, that when everything is falling apart, but God is your present help, He is right now here. Especially when everything is falling apart, is where you find freedom from your anxiety. So you see, how is that so? If everything is so bad, 
so terrible. How can I be free from anxiety? Well, I learned this from a missionary called Elizabeth Elliot. You know, her husband died down there in South America, trying to reach the Indians. And based on that story, she wrote a book called No Graven Image. It's a novel. It's a fiction book. No Graven Image. It's a story of a nurse, nurse, American nurse, that she wanted to, to reach the heathens, to reach the unbelievers. And she planned everything. She organized everything in her life. She had everything figured out. And she went to Ecuador. But there was one problem. She had to have the Bible translated to the Indians. And she could not find anyone to translate to their language. But then she found Pedro. She found Pedro to translate the Bible. But to turn the long story short, Pedro cut his leg... And as a nurse, she gave him an antibiotic, and she didn't know that uh, he was allergic to it. And he started to die. And then she began to be desperate, praying to the Lord, Oh, Lord, do not let him, do not, do not let him go. She, he cannot die. Please save him. Please heal him. Please do not let him go, because there will be a dead end. I will never be able to reach the the unbelievers. Please save him. Save his life. And then the novel ends. Pedro dying. And many people saying, that's not right. What kind of God is that? How can such a thing happen and God let it go? That doesn't make any sense. And then there's a little phrase at the end of that novel that changed my life. And you understand why. The title of the, the book is the No Graven Image. And why, in the midst of the chaos, in a God like that, you can find freedom from, from your anxiety. And here's the phrase. If God was merely my accomplice, my counselor, if God was merely my accomplice, had betrayed me. If on the other hand, he was God, he had freed me. Do you understand what she's saying here? She's saying there was a graven image in my heart. That God was merely my counselor, my accomplice. Something to give just a hand in my life, in my world that I had planned. That I am my own God. That I set the plans for my own life. But I discovered when everything is falling apart, when everything is a chaos, that I cannot do anything. I know that God is not only my accomplice, merely a counselor, but He is God. And He is the honor and His creator and in control of everything. Special of my life and my plans in the midst of trouble and chaos. I confess that he is God. I confess that he is sovereign. But in daily life, I have a graven image in my heart. And I don't live by that what I confess. But when, it, when everything is from bad to worse, that's where I realize that he is God. 
not merely my accomplice or a counselor, but that he is truly God and that freed me from myself. Yes, God is our refuge and strength. Look at your present and see him there in the midst of chaos. Second point. Look back at your past. Because when you see the present, it's what Carlton Boone said. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Yes. When everything is a chaos, when everything is from bad to worse, it's where I realize that you can never, I can never learn that Christ is all I need or you need until Christ is all I have. But then the psalmist also sees, saying, look back at your past, verses 4 and 7. Because here's the beauty of the psalm. Everything is a chaos in verses 2 and 3, right? Everything is a turmoil. But then in verse 4, you see a river. Is everything calm? Mountains, sea, the earth is shaking in verses 2 and 3. But the city of God is unshakable in verses 4, four and 5. Tumultuous and raging sea in verses 2 and 3. But calm river of Zion makes the city of God a glad, joy, peace, provision, and tranquility. But then you ask to me, a river? Well, that doesn't make any sense. There's no river in Jerusalem. If you go there, there's no river there. What's up with this river here? In the temple in Jerusalem. Well, there was a man-made spring of water to fill the pool of Shiloh so that they would have supply of water at all times when the city was being besieged. But the verse here is not talking about a man-made spring of water. No. It's talking about a natural kind of river. And the reason is this. In verse 4. Verse 4 is evoking the Garden of Eden in creation... That had a river of which the temple in Jerusalem was a prototype or a replica of the presence of God. So the psalmist is making us to remember the past when there was no sin, when there is no pain, when there is no affliction, when there is no war. When there was no siege and perfect communion with God and the river was a symbol of that truth. So the psalmist is making us to remember the past. Remember when everything is alright, when God is with us. When it wasn't the past in creation. Well, you see the same emphasis in verse 5, when it says, God will help. In verse 5 says, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that write her early. The word help here is the same in verse 1. And that he will help right early or at the turning of the morning. See, everything is dark in the night. And then comes the sun. And right early in the morning comes light. That's again for you to remember the past, the creation. Darkness, then light. But there's something else for you to remember too. You know what it is? This language here of right early or at the turning of the morning is for you to remember another siege 
in the history of Israel. You know, there were in the front of them a sea, Red Sea. There was no way out on the right and left. And behind them, an army of Egypt. No way out. They were besieged. There's no way to escape. And then, if you go to Exodus chapter 14, 27 at home, you have the same exact expression that you have here in Psalm 46. Right when there was no escape, at the turning of the morning, God opened up the sea, made the people go through the sea. When the army of Egypt came, boom, God killed all of them at the turning of the morning. That's a language for them to remember the past. Look back at your past. How I saved you. How I was with you. How I was your refuge and strength. And then apply to your present. And then in verse, uh, in verse 6, you see the hidden rage and the kingdom were moved. And he uttered his voice. The earth melted. It's also a language for them to remember the past. In Exodus chapter 15 verse 5. The song of Moses. When it says that God melts the Canaanites. It's a song of victory when they defeated the Egyptians. So the language here of the verses is. Remember your past. How I was your refuge and strength and redeemer and savior. No, that's why in verse 7, he can say, God is with us. The Lord is of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge because of the past. That's how we do with affliction, isn't it? At least I do. When I'm in trouble, when difficulty and affliction, for me to soothe the pain or to try to cope with the problem... I tend to think about the past. Oh, I was so good when I was a kid. Play around, climbing trees, and with no problems and no difficulties. Oh, but that was a good time. That serves us many times for us to at least forget a little bit of the problem that we are in the present. Well, this text now is teaching you to remember your past, to help you with your problem in the present. Not of your past of 30 years ago, or 5 years ago, or 40 years ago, or even 60 years ago. But it's for you to remember the past of 2,000 years ago. How can we Christians have the tendency to forget the truth of 2,000 years ago of our redemption and apply that truth to our present? We need to do this. To take the reality of our past of 2,000 years ago of Christians, of Christians, as Christians and apply it to our present. So let me try to illustrate this, how to do that. I got this uh, application from Greg Lucas. He's a policeman. And uh, he has a special kid. In one of his blogs, he wrote 
these things that I'm going to read to you. And how he applies the truth of the gospel of 2,000 years ago to his affliction of the present with his son. Listen to it. And how he does apply the past to his present. And how we can do the same. How apply the, pre- the past of the gospel to our present condition. Listen. It says this. Almost daily I have to physically restrain my son. It is a physical battle to change his diaper and clean his body. Many times while cleaning and changing him, I have been kicked in the face, beaten, smacked, clawed, and hit with flying objects. It is not all that uncommon to come away from a cleanup with a bloody lip or a new scratch. Jake is the size of a man, of a small man now, and stronger than most full-size men. It takes at least two people to bathe him. I must confess that on many mornings I leave Jake's room dejected, hurt, and emotionally drained. In many nights I find myself restraining the violent resistance of a struggling boy by wrapping him on my arms against his will and gently whispering, I love you, I love you, I love you, no matter what. Most children are relational. And have the ability to reciprocate affection. But what happens when the child cannot communicate love? How does the relationship between parent and child grow and thrive when the child is not relational? What bonds parent and child together when the child does not share in the affection? How do you care for someone that resists your care with violence and opposes you Oppose your very presence, even when your presence is for his good. Now, he's going to apply the past to his present condition. And we need to apply to our conditions as well, whatever it is. It says this. The only possible way to make any sense of this kind of relationship is to experience it through the, through the truly unconditional love of God the Father. As I reflect on my seemingly one-sided relationship with my son, I'm forced to see how it is sometimes a portrait of my own relationship with God. In the defiance of my son to be loved, cared for, and washed clean, I am shown a portrait of the cross. The one-sided violence of love reveals a blurred vision of my own redemption as a bloody, beaten, crucified Savior wraps me in his arms, subdues me with his affliction, And whispers in my ear, I love you, I love you, I love you, no matter what. And this morning, beloved Christian, not only you have a whisper in your ear, but a scream in your ear that God said on the cross, I love you, I love you. I love you no matter what you are going through, Christian, because I didn't spare my only son so that you will be with me forever. That's your security. That's how you apply the past to your present condition, no matter what. Look back at your past, Christian, and know that God is your refuge and strength. Third and lastly, Third and last, because now, after you saw the past, you're going to go into the time machine and go to the future. 
He's going to take you to the future, kids. So that you can see the future, verses 8 to 11. Verse 8, he says this, come, he's inviting us, all of us, come. Behold the works of the Lord. The word behold here is not a common verb to see. It's a verb used for prophets. To see the future. So he's calling us with him to see the works of the Lord. Even though it's in the past here, it's because the future is so certain that he can talk even in the past. The desolations and the great works of God. Yes, that he did in the past, that he will, but that he, that he will do in the future as well. So much so that you can see that in verse 9. He maketh war to see unto the end of the earth. So it's not talking about only in his time, but to the end of the earth. So he's going to break the bow, cutteth the spear in sunder, and burneth the chariot in the fire. So all those uh, weapons of war and cars will be broken, will be done away, will be over. It will make war cease to the end of the earth, and all evil and all injustice. And then he says in verse 10, be still. Isn't it beautiful? The beginning of the psalm is everything in turmoil, isn't it? Everything is a hurricane of disaster. But then at the end, in verse 10, is be still, be calm. Be still, cease all the struggle. And I think he's talking, of, he's talking to the enemies, the nations that are the enemies, and he's talking to the church, both. The enemies and the church. He said, cease all the struggle and know that I am God. And know that I am God. Be still. I know that I am God because I will end all disgrace, all evil, all war, all. I will defeat all enemies. There will be no pain, no tears, no suffering. Be still. Calm down. And know that I am God. Be still and you will know. There will be complete victory. Calm down. You enemies, you will be defeated. And you church, just trust me and know that I will be known on all the earth. You will know that I am God, that I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. There will be no King Sennacherib. There will be no president Biden, there will be no emperor, no leader in the future. Everyone will know I am the one who is God. I am the one who is king. I am the one who will be exalted. Therefore, be still. Calm down. Look to your future, Christian, in the midst of your pain. And here's the lesson and the application. Do you see the unique Christian view of suffering? Different than the atheist view of suffering? The unique view of Christian suffering is that on one hand, we must be realistic. That things may get from bad to worse. But on the other hand, we have the God-given right to be romantics. To be romantics, because in the future, God will end all evil and all suffering. But you know what the problem is? The problem is that we think that we will live in this world forever. Isn't that true? Isn't that true in me? 
Our hearts is fixed in this world, in this fallen world. But here you see the future in heaven's significance for now. Applying the future for now. New heavens and new earth are real and must be relevant for now, Christians. Not only out of our lips, but in our hearts. The future might make the future must make a difference now in the present. Look to the future and see your God as your refuge and strength that promised you that future that we heard this Sunday, Sunday school, today. The promises of the, of the pact, of the covenant. So amazing that we heard. And applied those promises right now. Look to the future and let it make a difference now. But then you say to me, oh, no, come on, pastor. I cannot think of any purpose in the suffering that I'm going through right now. You don't know anything I'm going through. What is the purpose? Come on, tell me. What is the purpose of this hurricane of problems? Well, let me give you one. And I think the text gives you an amazing one purpose. Because you see in verse 10, God will be known and exalted among the nations after all the problems of verse 2 and 3, right? All the difficulties that we are going through in this earth. He will be exalted and known among the nations. And here is when I hear the women in my own church back in my homeland with so much pain that they go through and endure. And I ask myself, how can I endure so much pain? And they answer me, because of my God who promised me that in my future there will be no pain, pain no tears, no more suffering. What a testimony that is of a Christian. Because of my Lord Jesus Christ, I can be more like Him. That's the purpose. So that people can see Jesus in my life through my suffering. You have a missionary purpose in your suffering. What else do you want? What else do I want? So that Christ may be more glorified and magnified through my suffering. As I look more like Him. As I go through pain, suffering, affliction, trouble and all kinds of difficulties. We have a missionary purpose so that God may be known and exalted among the people around us. Your suffering, beloved Christian, has a missionary purpose if you want one. That reminds me of a little girl. Probably she is seven or eight or nine years old. She was born with a spine bifida. You know, spine problems. Spine divided into two since her birth. And uh, she only can walk with crutches or wheelchair for the rest of her life. And one of the things that uh, she loves is see ballerine dancing. Ballerine dancing. And one day her pastor gave her a ticket to a concert. 
I mean, to a show of ballerine dancing. And she was so excited. She was in the car with her brother, Levi. And she was so excited talking to her brother. Say, Levi, can you believe it? Isn't it amazing? I get to see the ballerine dancing. It's so great. One of the best in the world. What a privilege. Isn't it amazing? But Levi, do you know what is more amazing than that? Jesus is more amazing. Jesus is more amazing. Because one day, one day, he will come back. And when he comes back, he's going to give me new legs. And the first thing that I'm going to do with new legs is to dance for him. A little girl of seven or eight or nine years old had the ability to apply the promises of the gospel of the future to her present condition. And we adults many times cannot do that. What's going on with us? The problem is that our future hope is not real to us. That's the problem. It's not real to me. It's not palpable. It's not even in our radar of our lives. Other things are. That's the problem. No, in order for you and for me to grow in sanctification, in our suffering, we must remember the gospel of the past, the gospel for the present, and the gospel promises of the future. That's what you learn here in Psalm 46. That's why we can sing that he is our refuge and strength. That's the gospel, Christian, that we have, that the world doesn't. That's why it's so unique. That's why it's so amazing. And we need to proclaim it. We need to live it out. We need to teach our children more. And we need to have that in our heart to let us seek in, seeking in so deeply. And ask the Holy Spirit to help us. So verse 11, so that we can end the sermon. says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The God of covenant. The God who made a covenant with Jacob. With Abraham. He is with us. Now let me ask you this as we end. How do you sing this verse? Verse 7. Verse 11. Verse 1. That He is with you. How can you sing this psalm and know that God is with you when everything in your life is falling apart? Can you sing it? Can I sing it? Can we? Can we truly believe this truth when our lives are falling apart and we can say, you are with me. You, God of covenant. You, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. You, the God of armies, of hosts. You are with me when everything is falling apart. Can you sing like that when you have a hurricane of disasters in your life? Yes, you can. And you can answer with another question. You know, the most amazing question ever, ever asked. The most painful question ever experienced. You remember that, don't you? You remember, right? 2,000 years ago. He cried out with his lungs filled with air on that horrible cross. He cried out saying, with that question, my God, 
My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you not my refuge right now? He asked. Why the Lord of hosts is not with me right now? My family, my friends, my disciples, all abandoned me. And even my God, he said, is silent here. Why am I suffering hell on this cross? So that God could look at your, into your eyes, beloved Christian, and say to you, I do not spare, I did not spare my own son so that I would be with you forevermore. For this reason, beloved Christian, we can sing this song with all conviction and all certainty that even if the things get from bad to worse, even if everything is lost, the family, pleasure, and even the goods are gone Like Luther wrote, My trust is our God, based on this song. Even if everything can fall apart, you can say, God is with me because of the cross. Because of Jesus that experienced the forsakenness of God on that cross. So that I could be certain that He will be with me forevermore. Because the circumstances are not my ultimate authority. They are not the ones that tell me if my God is with me or not. No. My ultimate authority is the Holy Scripture. Or more specifically, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who felt the forsakenness of God. So that I could be with God for eternity. For this reason, the world may fall apart. I am safe in Christ. Refuge. Refuge and strength. Christ is our very present help in the worst of troubles in this life. Glory be to Christ. What an amazing Savior you have, Christian. And if you are not a Christian, come. Because there's no one like Him. He is matchless. This message is incomparable. Come. Come and know this amazing God who is our refuge and strength in the worst of troubles. Let us pray together. Father, without thy Holy Spirit, we cannot do anything I can scream I can try to do many things but nothing will work nothing even if we understand what Psalm 46 says no change will happen in me and in my friends here So please help us. Please come. Come with power. And open up the eyes of our hearts. So that we may see thy salvation. So that we may see thy hope. So we may may see thy promises. So that we may see 
the grace of the gospel. Not only because we need to cope with affliction, but above all, because we need thee. Because we need Emmanuel, God with us. We need Jesus Christ. He is our heaven. He is our joy. He is our love. So please help us. In his name, we pray. Amen.